Well, uh, thanks for being with us this morning. Hey, something really cool happened this week. We had uh, several from our church and other churches around Topeka join in a Doxazo camp at the High Crest community. Aren't they joyful? Look at that picture. How many of you served at that camp? We had over 120 of us and other people who served there. Thank you so much for serving. They had over 130 children who attended that. They not only provided that camp for uh, children of need, they also went and refurbished three homes in that community. I had a chance to walk through that area. Here's the thing I noticed. I just noticed the joy of the Lord in people who were serving and giving themselves beyond themselves and, and giving themselves to others. And I, was, I really had a proud moment. It's an honor to be a pastor here and to see our church moving outside of its walls and serving in our community. So thank you. And I wanted to just make that statement and, and appreciation for that. Hey, we're continuing in our series this week on marriage and relationships called Choose Love. And it's a, it's a choice that really could transform you and the ones you love. Last week, we talked about the importance and the value of you being sourced in God's love. And it's certainly a better plan than you being centered on yourself, right? And so just as we are to love our spouses, love our uh, the person uh, that God has given to us, we're to love them as Christ loved the church and it always involves giving ourselves up for them, right? Not getting. That's what love in our world looks like. It's what can I get from you? What can I take from you? What can marriage give me? And the biblical picture is what can I give? What do I bring to it? And how can I do that? Our second choice is another critical choice. And it's a choice to either respect your spouse or expect things from them. This is really critical because nothing cultivates love in a relationship better than the gift of respect. When you respect your spouse, that's something they can't demand of you. It doesn't never, never happens when you ought to respect me. That never elicits genuine respect. But when you give it, love deepens and grows. And can I just say inversely, nothing brings more weeds. Nothing brings more burdens to a marriage than when you bring your expectations and place them on the person God has given you. I want to craft a picture with you real quickly of a field of expectations. It's a big, broad, expansive field. And it's kind of like the field of dreams. If you build them, you expect them to come. And if I put this image in your mind, I want to talk to you about where do we draw expectations from in relationships? Well, expectations can be requirements. Requirements sound like this. The person I'm in a relationship with, with must be. It's, it's things we place on that other person. And, and we may not write out the list, but you better believe we have it in our minds. They need to look like this. They need to have a build like this. They need to have interests like this. They need to be like me or whatever. She must be. It's, it's what that other person must be. Another area of expectations lies in the area of restrictions. This is what I won't do. And I, and I don't want someone who's like this, or I won't do this, and therefore anyone who wants to do that, I won't do. And I've seen this more in the singles again. When you're single again, and you don't want kids, and she wants kids, look out, relationship's over. You put, you put restrictions on the other person. And then when you get married, then when you get married, you put revisions and, and it's kind of the whole picture of if they were only, 
If she just, if he just was more caring, if he, she was a little bit more kind to me. We put those revisions on them and build expectations. And we try to change that person. Which reminds me of that story of a bride who was just about ready to walk down the aisle. And she's so nervous and she's sweating and she, she's so, she doesn't want her day to be ruined. And the wedding coordinator comes along and she says, what? She goes, I'm just so nervous. And the wedding coordinator goes, now darling, just listen to me. What you need to do is think of three words. Here's the word. First word, aisle. You're going to be walking down that aisle. Just think of that. And secondly, think about the altar, because at the altar, you're going to kneel down and pray and ask God to help you as you begin this marriage. And then after the whole service, you're going to sing a hymn. So just think about those three words as you walk down that uh, that aisle, as you kneel down at that altar, and as you sing that hymn, just relax. And that's what she did with each step. She said, aisle, altar, hymn, aisle. Alter him. Sorry, you had to think on a Sunday morning. But sometimes we bring that. We bring that to our marriages. If I'm going to change him, she's good. He's good. He's rough around the edges, but I can help him. And we bring our expectations. And it hurts. I remember my first year of marriage. It was so difficult. That's the most difficult years, year of marriage was our first year. She, we were both single. We were both very independent. We came into a relationship and, and I, we just struggled because we both had expectations. Most of them were expectations for ourselves that we weren't measuring or we didn't feel we were measuring up to. And so that brought a lot of internal guilt and shame that we weren't thinking we were the the right uh, you know couple there and I even remember in Dallas um, and that's where we we got married and that's where we spent our first year of marriage we had all these other couples around us and man they were just beautiful people and they didn't look like they struggled with anything and we're, we'd go out for dinner and there'd be all these couples around the table and just like when you're ordering with friends you know you can do that you're ordering the menu things you can go oh They have that. I should have ordered that. You kind of did that as couples. Boy, she's so much kinder to him than than you are to me. And you start wondering and you place the revisions on that. And you ask the question, did I marry the right person? And those expectations, folks, here's what they result in. They reap instead of a field uh, that's that's a, a it's a field of weeds. You reap a crop of guilt when when you have and place these expectations. Because missed expectations on your spouse results in discontentment. And you tend to reject that person for the way they are. And you tend to ignore the blessing of that person for who you've been given. And instead of looking within and making adjustments or revisions, you expect those revisions to come to from that person. And you guilt them and you shame them. Here's the reality. Folks, we need, you need a better vision for change than fitting and matching requirements or not violating restrictions or conforming to others' revisions for you. And guess what? The Bible provides that for us today. The Bible is going to show us a much better vision 
And, and we're going to be called away from a field of expectations. And we're going to be, we're going to be invited in to the very first environment where God provided the first woman to the first man. It's in Genesis chapter two. If you have your Bibles open up there, because God talks about a garden. He's going to move us out of a field. The field's this huge, expansive place. You've got to have implements to work it. A garden is personal. It's intimate. You work it with your hands. And God calls us into that relationship back to the garden. Because it was in that garden that God cultivated respect between the first man and the first woman. And in Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, I'd like to read this and share this picture. It says this, Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's just pause there for a second. I think it's important that we understand the right interpretation of this passage because it it, it affects how you view God and how and the the person that he's brought into your life. First, First thing is this. Up to this point, we have God creating And God taking the man and placing him in the garden with a purpose and with a responsibility to to work it, to keep it, to cultivate it. You have God, the creator, saying, I'd like to work alongside you. I want to be with you. God's a relational God. And if you even take a look at Genesis chapter 1, the whole creation account is big words like there was nothing and God spoke and something happened. The, the Latin ex nihilo. He created something out of nothing. We can't do that. We can't relate to that. And you get big picture like planets, solar systems, sun, moon, stars, huge oceans, land masses. And in Genesis chapter 2, you get God, the relationship, moving in with with to a garden with um with a man and then creating a woman you get god being a relational god what is he showing us he's not just the creator of everything that exists he's also the one who wants to be with us he's a relational god and he places man in this garden and he says every tree you may eat but there's just one tree that i don't want you to eat surely eat out of all of these but if you eat out of this one you'll surely die We don't see this. We see the one thing he says no to. We don't see the generous yes of God. We see the single no. And we make a big deal out of it. We've always been struggling with the single no of God. We've never, we rarely see the incredible blessing that Adam could eat out of thousands, perhaps millions of trees. We just are ticked that he said one. Why, Why one? So that we would choose daily to respect him and to worship him by a choice. To love him. God called us to do that. And he gives us that choice. And so we're called into it. Let's continue here. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call him, call them. And whatever the man called every living creature That was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Folks, a wedding service, our current Christian wedding services are all geared around this first wedding of of the bride walking down the aisle and being presented, brought by God, joined together and received and respected by her husband. This passage shows us three practices that I'm going to call you into that cultivate respect in a relationship. The first one is this. We need to, like Adam, honor our spouse as God's provision for us. You see, Adam had a need. God provided for him. You have a need in a spouse. God provides for that need. Let's take a look at how this passage develops. First of all, over the course of creation, you have God after each day saying, with his creation, kind of a divine commentary of, it was good. And it was good. And it was good. Just trace that word through the first chapter of Genesis. This is the first time God looks at creation without sin in the world at this time, mind you, and says, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, God sees this. What does God see? He says that creation was good, but relation was not good at this time. So God said it's not good for man to be alone. He had Adam discover what he saw. And how did he do that? He brought in the animals. Now, there's certainly the angle of, and it's kind of cool that the creator would step back and go, you name them. I'll bring them to you. You name them. And can you think about it? It's just like a kid in a candy store. Okay, there's an animal. I'll name him. Let's see. Big nose. Rhinoceros. That's what I'll name him. And that one, big hump on the back, camel. You know, if you even look at the Latin, which Adam didn't speak at, but the Latin basically talks about the characteristics of an animal based on their name. That's how we've been naming animals ever since, based on their characteristics. He also noticed probably different skin that the animals had, different than his, the different bone structure. And all of a sudden, but it wasn't just the characteristics, it was also for every male animal, there was a female counterpoint. So he could always go male, female zebra, male, female hippopotamus, male, female bird, and and then he would go, male, female, there's no one for me. There's no female counterpart for me. God did that. God did that. He brought Adam to the point of seeing his need. And when he saw his need, God said, I will make a helper suitable or fit for him. Now, a few things on this. If you trace that word, that phrase, I will, every time in the book of Genesis, a man or a woman has a need, God says, I will, I'll meet that need. Actually, if you trace that throughout the Bible, you'll see every time we have a need, God steps in and says, I will, I'll take care of that. I'll provide for you. God's been providing for us since creation. And he continues in marriage to continue to provide us. Now, God calls what he's going to make a word. 
And he calls her a helper. And if you come from a feminist background, you take offense to the word helper. But let me just say, let me just say, God didn't intend that for you to interpret it that way. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew word, and I'll teach it to you, is Eitzer. Can you say Eitzer with me? Very good. Welcome to Hebrew. It literally means a characteristic of God. God named, even before he formed her, he gave her a purpose. She would be an Eitzer, the very help from God for this person. Your spouse is an Eitzer to you. Like that same word is used in Psalm 41, 6, 46, 1, excuse me. It says that God is our very present help in trouble. God was giving dignity to women. He wasn't, he wasn't, um, you know, giving them a picture of slavery. And, and even in the ancient world, this word messed with men who were dominant, who were benef- saw themselves as the major beneficiary, who treated women as possessions. The Bible confronted them with this word. She is to be a helper, a help from God to your life, not someone you abuse, exploit, and use for your own purposes. The Bible's always given dignity to women. And God gives dignity when he said, this is who I will fashion. It's no coincidence that after the command of eat of all these trees, but don't eat this one, that God would say it's not good for you to be alone because it's not even good for you to be alone operating in isolation when God calls you to follow him. A helper will help you even follow God. Now, we'll learn in the story that she didn't necessarily help him follow God at this point. But that's how God, that's how God designed things. To be a helper from him, to follow him, and to love him. And so he created that Eitzer. And he provided her as he put Adam to sleep, performed the first surgery... And it was fully from God that she, you know, Adam was formed out of dust. Not a little positive things to say about dust. She was formed out of a rib. This rib is significant. Matthew Henry, the commentary, commentator, says this. She was not made out of his head to top him. Not made out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. But out of his side to be equal to him. Under his arm to be protected by him. Near his heart to be beloved. And God brought this woman to the man. Do you realize this was the first quote we have in the Bible of humanity speaking? Genesis 1 and up to this point in Genesis 2, you have God seeing it and speaking it. And now you have the first quote from a person in the Bible. And this is what it sounded like. At last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over. Okay, maybe it didn't sound just like that. But he said this. He said, this at last. That's what he says far before Etta James wrote that song. Adam was proclaiming it. And it wasn't just cool. It was at last. He broke into poetry. You'll see it in, your, in the English Bible. It's indented. This, it's a poem. He broke into song. It was complete honoring and worship of God for providing someone fit for him. Can I ask you you a question? How are you doing that with the provision God has given you? How are you honoring them? 
How do you honor them in your attention, in your interest, with your admiration? How do you, how do you honor them in how you listen to them, in your kindness towards them? You see, if you're going to cultivate respect, you have to honor them as God's provision. And can I ask another question? How are you a helper and not a burden to your spouse? Can't tell you how many young moms complain of guys just coming home and putting their feet up and expecting everything to be done for them. Well, that's how my dad did things. Well, your dad didn't help your mom. <laughs> so you got to rewrite history. You're, you're put in her life to help her. Yeah, but it's at the end of the day. I'm the one who makes the money around. Get over it. Get over it. You're someone who God's provided to help. To help. See, that's the picture. Honoring cultivates that respect. Secondly, we're called to accept our spouses as God's person for us. Look at how, what Adam says. This is just a quick quote here. He goes, this at last, and this is what he says. Look at this phrase. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This means very little to us in the 21st century. But what he was literally saying is in the ancient culture to say bone of my bones. He's literally saying what lasts after me. She's made of me. He noticed all the structures of all the other animals. She knew he's constructed just for her and he received her. See, those bones were something that that I'm to be gruesome here. After you died, your family kept your bones. They put them in a bone box. And when the family moved, they moved. And you'll hear through the Bible that they were, they died and were gathered with their fathers. What that literally meant is they gathered their bones and stacked them with the brothers, okay? Or the fathers. That's, they were, that's, that's what remained. And to yell out, bone of my bones, this, I accept you. I receive you. Flesh of my flesh. That's what is living. She's a living creature for me. Created by God. He received her. Without hesitation, no pause. There wasn't, oh, boy, I was thinking a blonde. No, there was none of that. There was none of that. There was complete acceptance. And when you accept someone, when you accept someone, you're saying, God, I'm content. I'm content. When you have expectations for them, you know what you're saying? God, (laughs) should have prayed more specifically for this one. You didn't hear me. You're expressing discontentment with God's provision and God's person. And you know what? When you don't accept someone, it is personal. It is personal. You just, oh, but she didn't mean to record. No, it's personal. It's against that person. You hurt them when you refuse to accept, accept them. And you know what? Every time you accept someone, there's that reception. Yes. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And every time you put an expectation, there's a rejection. Not good enough for me. Here's the deal. We struggle to accept each other inside of marriage for several reasons. Sometimes it's differences where they have a different perspective or they have a different preference. And differences sometimes can really divide or they have a different pattern. She's a morning person. He's an evening person or she, you know, he squeezes the toothpaste right from the middle and she's more OCD and she has to go right from the end working her way every single 
time. And those differences divide us. I'm not like that. You're not like that. And then you make the prideful angle of, well, I just don't know how they could be like that. And you reject them. You can have weaknesses. Weaknesses can, can, can uh, get in the way and hinder acceptance. Weaknesses caused by inadequacies. Or weaknesses just by inexperience. You don't, and, and, and you need someone to come along and be a help. You can, you can have a, a failure to accept someone based on their insecurities, their fears, or your own, your own insecurities, your own failures, your own frustrations. And then you can even have it when you have selfishness and pride is just shown and perfectionism or, or even your desire for more pleasure than, than, than service. But here's the deal. You have a heavenly father that is absolutely committed to you and your development. Just like you, if you have children, you're committed to your children, your own children, for them to grow and mature in love. And you know, one of the greatest learnings with me as a father is that my kids have grown far more in the depth of their love for God and others when they gave up themselves to love other people. Other people who didn't think like them, act like them, process life like them, believe like them. And that's why I'm really thankful that Fellowship Bible Church really invests children for the kingdom. We don't do things to just keep people entertained. We invest them into the kingdom. I'm glad that they had things like Doxazo Camp to pour their lives into serving younger children. I'm glad that they've had things like the mountain, that they've gone and served you know, a, a, an eighth grader can serve a first grader who normally they would walk away from, but they can serve them and step down or going to Camp Barnabas and for two of my boys to serve for 23 hours each day, uh, a, a, one of their peers with cerebral palsy, showering, putting them to bed, dressing them in the morning, feeding them, taking them to the facilities every day. And you know... Uh, the other things like super kids, super camp, serving children, rambunctious children that parents are so excited to put into that program and they will love them for the week or even going to the Dominican Republic or inviting their friends who didn't believe like them to a young life camp or to reverb to hear the gospel. You see, if we're not careful, parents, we, we tend to craft the environments for our kids that are all about, that are scripted towards their interests, their skills and abilities, talents and comfort level. Friends that look attractive to us, who are not needy, who, who definitely have no character flaws and, and, and can play on their teams and have fun with them. And you know what? If we do that, they will lose out on the very things that have liberated them from their own selfishness and loving themselves and have grown them in the depth of their relationship with Christ. See, my kids have learned over the course of their young adult life that to love deeply, you have to love people outside your grid. And can I just say something? If your marriage is just about you finding that perfect soulmate who's a match, 
who's perfectly like you, who looks attractive like you and thinks intelligently as you and compliments you and what you believe is your perfect existence. You will deny reality. You will live in a field of expectation and you will reap a guilt, uh, a, a crop of guilt in your life and in their lives and in your marriage. Here's the truth. Your spouse is different than you. Differences usually divide unless you could accept your spouse as the plan of God for you to grow your own toleration and patience and depth of character and understanding to broaden your perspective. Here's the truth. Your spouse struggles with weaknesses. Weaknesses usually drain people and hurt relationships unless you accept their struggle as your struggle. And you come alongside them to be that Acer from God. Fit for them. Your spouse is insecure. Insecurity usually isolates them. Unless you accept their insecurities as opportunities for you to give strength. Not solving all their problems and just telling them to get over it. But just as God gives you strength, a helper in time of struggle. You know, if you can do that, then you both grow deeper and wider in your love and you grow stronger because you become better together than you would be alone. Your spouse is selfish. Selfishness blinds. That's how I know I'm selfish. It's when I'm blind to it. You know you're selfish. By the time you know you're selfish, you're humble. But when you don't know it, you're blind to it. Who knows when you're selfish? The people who love me and are closest to me. Who do I hurt when I'm selfish? Them. I can sleep really well at night when I'm selfish, but they stay up tossing and turning. Who has to show me that I'm blind to my own selfishness? You see, the acceptance of my spouse when I'm selfish, who comes into my life boldly but lovingly and speaks the truth in love. And that's what we're going to learn next week when we talk about forgiveness. Truth and love. And respectfully calls me to see what I'm blind to. Guess what? I become aware. I become aware. And I can step away and beyond my own interests and move into the interests of others. Now, how does God do this? He does it through that person who's committed to me, who accepts me as God's person for them. Folks, that's who you are in your relationship. You're, you're that one who needs to accept that person as God's person for them, for you. So we have an honoring as God's provision, an acceptance of God's person, and now the final thing, an af- to affirm our spouses as God's priority for us. Just a quick phrase. Adam named all the other animals. And look at what he names Eve. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The English doesn't do it quite justice because the Hebrew, just going back to it, she shall be called, here's the Hebrew Hebrew word for woman, Isha. Say that. Isha. Yes. It doesn't it just sound awesome. It's like, ah. Because he was ish. That's what man. 
So I am Ish. She is Ish. He was giving her dignity. He was calling her to priority. By the way, that's not where Hishma comes from, okay? <laughs> Sounds like it might have a root there, but it, it's not. A name affirms, and Adam affirmed her. He gave himself to her, formed from him, received by him, affirmed by him. She's with me. She's my one that God has created for me. How do you affirm your spouse? Affirm them as God's priority for you. You know, affirmation, if you're, you didn't come from a background that affirmed you, and you know, it's so many, so many come from backgrounds where parents didn't affirm. And so you just kind of repeat that pattern unless you get a hold of the gospel and it changes the way you love because you no longer view love as getting, but it's giving. And it could change the way you respect, not to give res- get respect, but to give respect. Then you can start rewriting history. And I just think about all the people that will be affected by the legacy of respect in your life. I think about, I, I know many of you and I see your families and there's even people I don't see who are yet to be born who will be affected and impacted by the way you respect your spouse, and that gives me great joy. We're on the cusp of, of transformation on how we respect our spouses by, by how we take this. You know, what, what does authentic affirmation look like? And I, well, let me give you three suggestions here. These have helped me as I affirm people. Number one, authentic affirmation expresses what do you believe about that person? And you know how powerful this is? Do you know how powerful on the negative side self-talk is? Things that parents may have called you, peers may have called you throughout your life, and you just be repeating, people have told me I'm this and I feel like I am. A spouse says, no, I don't believe that. I believe this about you. You affirm them. You may feel this about yourself, and I can't control your feelings, but this I believe about you. So we express, this is what I believe about you. Secondly, this is what I see in you. When we affirm our spouse, we come alongside and say, this is what I see in you. I see a man who's loving well his family. I see a woman who is cultivating and nurturing love in this family. I'm so honored to be married to you. See, when you affirm like, can I just say this? I, of course I'll say it. I'm preaching right now. Sorry. <laughs> but, but, but here's, I know some of the most high-capacity leaders who are the most successful people, if you were just to look on it on an income and accomplishment level, who have never heard that from their own parents. And, and that's part of the reason that drives them to be so successful is they want someone to say, well done, I'm proud of you, you're good at, and they still don't hear it. Do you see how God has put them in a marriage for a wife or a husband to say, you are really good at this. I am so proud of you. Do you see how that changes things? And man, we don't have enough money in our checking account. Do you see how it deflates someone? When you affirm them, you're saying, this is what I see in you. And then this is what I value in you. This is what I believe about you. This is what I see in you. And this is what I value in you. You know what? This doesn't just mean if you're married, 
This means friendship. This means raising kids to affirm them. The value of affirming the people in your lives when you choose to respect them through affirmation. It's really empowering. And and it's good for us to express that often. Can I just tell you, where are they going to get this? Where are they going to get this? Do you find many places where people are affirmed? No. In, in our world, it's all about competition. It's all about stacking. It's all about comparing. Unless you rewrite reality with the love and respect that God has given you. Let's go back to the tree. We constructed this tree last, last week and we talked about how we wanted to be founded in, from the, from the scriptures, a biblical foundation. We wanted to talk about the truth of God. And I just want to direct your attention to this card that you've been given as you came in. Take it out right now so we can look at it. Because this card will talk about the truth. And it's the hope that you get into God's truth. And this truth, the verse that we're looking at is Genesis 2.23. That goes through all those things that cultivate respect in your marriage. And our goal is that you would have the wisdom of God in your life. Secondly, we're going to call you to talks. And a prayer that right on that same side is a prayer for you to pray. And I know some of you have never prayed with your spouse. And so this will take courage to do. And it may be awkward. That's okay. You have a heavenly father who's okay with it being awkward. And hopefully your spouse will get over the awkwardness also. So you can pray together and trust the Lord. On the back of that are kind of a guide in your talk. There's three questions on it this week that I want you to spend some time with your spouse or if you're dating someone, have a dating conversation there. If you're single, meet with a friend who can talk to you about how you're communicating that right now. How are you doing in this area of respect? And then there's the choose love challenge. And there's things right there that I want you to do. One of them is, I want you to write a thank you note to God for your spouse. And I want you at the end of the week to give that to your spouse. I think it'll be a blessing. You'll communicate respect to them. Now, 20% of you, as soon as you got this card, said, I'm not doing it. Can I just ask you something? Get over it and do it. Really? Really? I mean, God has far much more for you through cultivating respect. And this is not perfect. This, this is not scripture. But it's something that, that can help you. And God has far more in the garden of respect than he does in a pattern the field of expectations in your life. Seek him, run the play, and God will bless you. Let me pray for you as we close. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for loving us. I want to thank you for a pattern that teaches us how to respect each other. Move us away and we confess a heart of expectations that have limited your love and limited our spouses and limited the way we respect them. Move us away from those requirements and restrictions and revisions and move us into acceptance and honor and affirmation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.